0: What would you do if the cancel mob came after you? Better yet, what would you do if the violent cancel mob came after you? Would you stand on biblical truth? Would you remain silent? Or would you do as some have made the practice and given in to the mob's demands by speaking their words back to them? As we fast approach yet another summer season, we are quickly reminded of the devastation that hit our country just last year during the infamous Summer of Love, one of the most devastating protest movements in American history that claimed the lives of dozens of people across the country, accounted for billions of dollars of property damage, and led to the permanent shutdown of thousands of businesses and millions of job losses. This is the work of the radical BLM movement funded by woke capitalism, which includes the Ford Foundation, hedge fund managers like Larry Fink, and Fortune 500 companies who have no principle or backbone. The BLM movement is an organization of radical Marxists that are not targeting violent oppressors and the strong among us. They are targeting the elderly, the women, and children who are most vulnerable and susceptible violence. They want to destroy the traditional family, destroy the market economy, promote woke capital, and usher in an era of totalitarian Marxism in this country. But we've already heard this story. It's time to share the stories of those who have stood up to the violent cancel mob and have done so through the power of the cross and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the story of Juan Elias Riesco of Nina's Cafe in Chicago and what is possibly one of the most powerfully gripping tales to come from last summer, which is the subject of a new documentary called Paint the Wall Black. Juan Riesco joins the Standing for Freedom podcast starting now.
1: We made a post saying we believe all lives matter because all lives are made in the image of God. And when I posted that, all hell broke loose.
0: A popular deli in downtown Chicago is no longer in business after a campaign to destroy their business was launched when they didn't fully support the Black Lives Matter movement.
1: And I let them know, if y'all are going to come protest, we're going to come preach.
0: Hi, welcome to the Standing for Freedom podcast here on the campus of Liberty University. where We're defending life, liberty, and truth. Those are the foundations of freedom for the next generation. And today, I'm actually joined by Juan Riesco. Uh, he is the feature in an upcoming documentary that is about to be released called "Paint the Wall Black." One, thank you and welcome to the podcast, dude.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Man, it's an honor.
0: I'm just, I'm just so honored. I, I, hearing your story, it's very inspiring um, for the, for young people, especially. I want them to know about you. Uh, more importantly, uh, what Jesus Christ has done in your life, saving you, um, and then also. Uh, the story of your business in Chicago. Um, but first, before we do that, I got, I, I got to, you got to tell us something. Sure. Getting here yes. was a little bit dramatic.
1: Yes, okay. it was so, a bit shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? Well, I was uh, on a flight uh, to North Carolina because apparently there's no direct flights to Lynchburg, which I didn't know. Um, and so on my, uh, my flight to North Carolina, we were 20 minutes in the air, and our airplane got struck by lightning twice, which I later found out is kind of common, yeah. but it it struck the plane so hard that we actually had to double back and land in uh, back in DFW. So um, needless to say, I am thankful to be here and also just thankful to be alive right now. So. Amen. Amen.
0: <laughs> so uh, I had a friend one time. His plane got struck by lightning. He was making a transatlantic flight from... Um, Frankfurt, Germany, okay. to the States. Yeah. And uh the pilot gets on and says, Uh yes, the plane was in fact struck by struck by lightning, but our avionics are fine. So we'll just keep we'll just keep going. Yeah. And he was just like <laughs>
1: you Bro, know, totally. Just like there's there's some plausible doubt here. Yeah, ours ended in our airplane just got struck by lightning twice, and we're not fine. We've lost radars, so we're going going back right now.
0: Yeah, gosh, <laughs> I tell you. Uh, well, I'm glad you're safe. Thank I'm glad you. you're here. You're Thank on the you. campus of Liberty. Yes. Uh, we're actually going to be featuring this film. Yes. Uh, today. I know. At, at the taping of this, so you guys might be watching this a little bit later. But but tonight we're actually featuring this film. Yes. Um So. First, I want to just tell me a little bit about what we're gonna see, yeah, uh, just your story in Chicago, yeah. and then I want to talk. i want to go further back into your story when you came to faith in Christ.
1: Yeah, amen. Praise God. Well, first and foremost, man, Ryan, thank you for having me, bro. I'm super honored to be on Liberty University's campus. I'm hyped for the position that y'all take, uh, not just in freedom, um, like our social freedoms, but also the the freedom of loving Jesus in, in today's age. So. Thank you for taking a stand for the gospel, man, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a little bit that you'll hear uh, in today's documentary showing uh, is the stance that my family and I took alongside of our church against the wicked social justice cult and the wicked BLM movement in Chicago specifically. Um, They they strategically um, pointed out my family's business as a business that did not take a stand. Uh, with their evil agenda when everything had initially launched off with George Floyd. And they said, this business hasn't made any statements. They haven't um, um, made a public mention that they stand with us. So we should protest them. And the documentary is really all about our stance against these movements, but not just against it, but also our stance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In in that context, mm-hmm. so um,
0: let's go back to some details. Yeah. Uh, last summer, we're about to we're approaching another summer. Yeah. Uh, the summer of protest. Yeah, it's on. Uh, some, some people call you could, it the like, summer, summer of love, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ta- yeah. You can taste it. Yeah. So uh, you see that that this happens. Violence usually goes. This historically, if you look at crime rates, right, usually go up, trickle up during the summer. A lot of that has to do with people being outside. Sure. Days are extended. Sure. Winter months, people are at home. Sure. typically that's what happens. Right. Um, but but obviously last summer uh, sparked by uh, well you what some would say Ahmed Aubrey, uh, but then George Floyd, right? Uh, those events, um, and then Brianna Taylor, all all within uh, and it inflamed violence across the country. Uh, but you being in Chicago, what specifically happened in the city? What mm. was happening there?
1: You know, um, I would say what was happening in Chicago was basically the same that it's been since I was a kid, which is a lot of shootings, a lot of robberies, a lot of crime. That has been consistent through my 29 years in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that summer was basically a lot like the others in that in that sense. Um, but now when you talk about it, when you talk about what happened um, – specifically in regards to the George Floyd things and the and the BLM things, um, it was a lot of rioting. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of destruction. And it was very, very dangerous to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we can put our, a lot of times you'll see, you'll see other Christians and things like that, put their fist up and say black lives matter. And I don't think that they realize how much those things, this movement really affects Christians in, in inner city parts of this nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving home from a friend's house so I just dropped off I think him and I went to dinner when everything was first kicking off in regards to the rioting um, and I I, did, I had heard but I didn't really I hadn't really seen anything yet but my friends were telling me like man there's they're looting they're they're rioting they're, it's crazy get home now and I was like man that's nuts are you serious and I was driving down the street and there were literally people running in front of my car in groups of people I mean I had just dropped my friend off he lives you know on a side street and i hit the main the main road to head home there's people running in front of my car there's police cars flying ambulances flying past me groups of people breaking into buildings uh, and, and and it looked like hell on earth mm. and and that was much much more serious than than a typical chicago summer is what i'm trying to say yeah. um so chicago had already had its its r- unfortunately regular crime happening. And then this came and it was just really amplified.
0: Wow. Wow. So then what happened with your business?
1: So, um, m- so my, my family and I, by the grace of God ha- have been, we had a lot of success in Chicago. Um, we had a partnership with Nike. We had a partnership with Adidas. Um, Apple has asked me to speak at their store. I, I gave an Apple presentation. An, uh, an Apple presentation, um, I got asked to do TED Talks, all these things. Because my family's business was so successful, a lot of people wanted to get behind our story. And so because we had such a, a big following by the grace of God, when, when we got asked to stand with this movement, BLM, when well, they didn't really ask, they kind of said that we needed to stand with their movement, you know? Um, and when they, when they had made these statements, we knew that because so many eyes were on us, that we would be accountable before them and before God for the position that we were about to take. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, I knew that the gospel and the message of Christ comes before any other message or any other gospel mm-hmm. that, that we find on this earth. And so I wanted to make sure that before all these witnesses, that I would take a stand for Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We took a stand for Jesus when BLM was um, saying that we needed to take a stand with them. And, and the result was they chose to riot and uh, riot our business essentially
0: you know it's interesting one when you look out at um, pathways pa- paths or even postures I would should say probably more more apt description posturing um, last summer there were evangelical groups even churches um, that decided and they would they borrowed kind of nuanced terms like this is for our public witness right. um we we, we want to we want to make sure that we hurt with those that are hurting, um, and so some of them decided to march yeah. uh, with Black Lives Matter. Totally. Now, if you had, and I'm I'm talking about uh, otherwise known as conservative evangelical groups right. uh, in conservative evangelical churches, or identify at least that way as conservative right. uh, theologically. I'm not talking about politically. Sure, um, but decided then to go out there and say, you know what, Um, we're going to have a nuanced position. We're doing it for a different reason. We're we're not with Black Lives Matter, Inc., but we need to be able to say Black Lives do matter. And so you see what's happening. They were marching alongside of, but no one could distinguish the difference. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. If someone were to come to you and say, why? Why wouldn't you just? Why wouldn't you just paint the wall? Why? Why not? Why? Why not just give it? You don't have to do it for the same reason. Uh, what, what would be your response?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I really answer this question. I want to answer this question from a biblical perspective, and so what I think about is, um, you know, like those in the New Testament who are being asked to say Caesar is Lord, mm. you know, and um, the first century church really got put in a position where they needed to simply chant some words and um, and they would be able to continue on with their day. Mm-hmm. And that just reminds me so much of what's happening now. We can so easily just say Black Lives Matter and continue on with our day. But when we do that, are we affirming the things that they affirm? I believe so. Are we then saying... It's almost as if we're saying the gospel that we love and that saved us needs an addendum or it needs, it wasn't good enough. It needs this on it, added to it. Mm -hmm. And the way I think about it is like this. Jesus already told us that we're supposed to love our neighbors. We don't need a movement to tell us that. The scriptures tell us so. We don't need a movement to, to let us know that racism is wrong. Those who are trying to say that racism has been discipled into the church were never truly disciples of Christ to begin with.
0: Amen.
1: You can't be a disciple of Christ and be a racist. It doesn't make sense. So we don't need any exterior organization to direct us down the path of truth. That's what we have the scriptures and the body of Christ for.
0: Amen. Amen. We see this uh, from time to time. You see churches that get caught up in certain kind of political activity or political identity. Um, I think it's. I think it's far fewer um, than often. You know. Uh, people will try to say that it it's happening everywhere mm-hmm. right um uh, but I think of I think of way uh, certain churches are accused of being co-opted by GOP politics for sure. example sure. uh when in when in reality what's happening is political platforms are adopting um you know,
1: Church language.
0: Church language, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so it's actually the opposite. What's actually happening that's is the point. church is influencing yeah, that's the way point. politics goes. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, the pro-life agenda, for example, is a great example of this, right? Uh, where, uh, let's say, you know, one political party says, hey, we will adro- adopt a pro-life stance. Now, for years, people say, well, you know, make good on that promise, because sure. they, they hadn't. Sure. Uh, but then others... Actually, did make good on that promise. So, yeah, anyway, um, when you go back to what took place, what transpired, did you have a lot of support from churches <laughs> in the area in Chicago, or did you have others that were, were joining in with the with with the people that were persecuting you? Were, you know, were there Christians saying, "Juan, you
1: you, you got to do this," you know, paint the wall, paint the wall? Yeah, it's a man. That's that's a great question. Uh, something that I think about a lot. Um, the biggest um, wounds, or, or not wounds, but the biggest, like the things that hurt the most, um, when my family was getting rioted and our business was getting protested, um, were the the words of those who considered themselves to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Certainly, those things hurt the most um, because, just like you, you asked, or you know, to answer the question plainly, most Christians were against us. Um, virtually every Christian that I knew that wasn't involved. With my church, was against us, including graduates from uh, Bible colleges that I used to respect, um, including people that were, you know, um, leaders in and youth groups and all the, in different, you know, Christian organizations like just gone, vanished, and and you know what, Ryan, it, I, what I do want to say is that this moment uh, of persecution or, you know, of pushback, cultural pushback, whatever you want to call it, that my family endured. There is one, many good things that came from it. But one thing that I do want to say is that it exposed wolves in sheep's clothing. It exposed so many folks who identify as Christian and showed us that they are nothing more than, you know, liberal tools of liberal propaganda essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And they are not, in, in fact, standing on scripture as their, as their bedrock, um, but rather standing on emotionalism and, and basically the wicked agenda of this world. Mm-hmm. And so we're so grateful that the Lord exposed that, shed light on those things. Um, and now we know who the true soldiers of the Lord are. Mm-hmm. Now we know who really loves him, who are his children, And we see it so clearly now. Um, Whereas before, you know, we could take these stances and say, man, you don't stand for the gospel, man, you don't, you know. But in paper, a lot of Christians are orthodox. Yeah. In paper. On paper.
0: It's easy to do.
1: But then these moments really takes off the curtain and shows what's behind it all. That's right. So we're so grateful for that, man, honestly. You know, our church is on fire more than ever right now. Like we have people now that are coming to our church for the same reason that most that a lot of these people left. Yeah. They're like, oh, wanted his his business. They were too radical. They didn't love people, et cetera. And we got other people who are like, man, y'all really love people. Y'all really preach the gospel in the face of turmoil. Like you guys really actually stand on the scriptures. That's the church I want to go to. Amen. So, so whereas like all this dead weight was shed off. The Lord is just allowing us to reap this beautiful harvest of believers who really love Him and really desire His Word, even when things get tough.
0: Amen. That is an awesome <laughs> statement. That like that, that was like dynamite. 30 seconds right there was amazing. Mic drop moment. And so, Juan, I, I just wanted, for those who don't know your yeah. particular story, yeah, yeah. like just
1: how the gospel changed you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the gospel radically changed me, man. Um, I, for the most of my young adult life, well, early teenage years to young adult life, so early 20s, I, I identified as homosexual. So I was living as a gay man, dating men. Uh, I moved to San Francisco to pursue my sexual identity, honestly. Um, I was addicted to crime life, uh, loved to shoplift, do graffiti, uh, been arrested like five or so times before, 22 or 23-ish. Um and really thought I was was finding purpose and meaning for my life in these things, um, and and my brother, my older brother, actually got saved first. He was the first person, in my first person, in my immediate nuclear family that got saved, and um, he got saved out of a life of game banging. He was a Latin king in Chicago, mm. and the Lord just like did a work in his life, and it was so radical and so instant. And he s- preached to me. Um, and he was like, bro, the way you're living is sin. You will go to hell that way. Mm-hmm. You need to repent for your sins, put your faith in Christ. And, and honestly, I thought I was good. I was like, bro, I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, and then I could debate him on why I was a good guy. Mm-hmm. And he would say, all those things may be true, but without Christ, no one sees heaven, you know? And he would make the gospel really plainly to me like that. He would speak it tr- in truth, but it, with a lot of truth and a lot of love, you know, and, and really made it clear that I was living wrongly. And at that point, uh, my parents had recently found out I was living homosexual and I didn't have anything going for me in life. And so I was still living at home, my early 20s. And my parents were like, dude, you're going to live under this house. If you're going to live under this roof, you're going to go to church with your brother. Because whatever happened to him, we want to happen to you, (laughs) basically. Um, and, And mind you, both of my parents weren't even saved yet. But they had just saw the testimony of my brother getting so shaken up by the gospel. They were like, whatever the heck went down, like, do that to your brother, please. Um, Which is funny because really what they should have said is do that in us as well. (laughs) But they loved me enough to know that I need something like this, right? Um, And so they sent me to church. And um, that was basically the, the, the premise of me living at home still. Either you go to church or you get the heck out of our house. And so I went to church, and the gospel got presented to me time and time again. And, and, and the Lord really took over my heart and made me a completely new person. And, and, and there's a lot of times, where, like you see in the documentary in the film, these BLM writers who, who knew my history, because I, I, a lot of them I grew up with, have known for many years, they were like, Juan's still gay, Juan's still gay. And it's like, dude, how demonic does that sound? Who in the right mind, who... In the spiritual rather hangs your past over your head
0: that's right who does that the accuser
1: jesus yeah. doesn't hang your past over your head mm-hmm. so those were words i believe were literally being echoed into their minds from the devil himself because the devil wants to remind you of who you used to be mm-hmm. the bible says that in christ we're new creations in christ i am no longer homosexual my identity is not in whom i sleep with amen mm-hmm. our identity is in the gospel is in jesus christ And so the gospel took over my life and made me a completely new creation. And just like everybody else, I was once a sinner, and now I'm a saint
0: Awesome in Him. One I'm going to ask you, just in the closing comments, just, you know, final words. Um, I think about the young people at this, not only at Liberty University, but just outside all across this country we're at a pivotal moment Mm -hmm. uh, where I really do see uh, the cultural hegemony changing, transforming right before our very eyes. More importantly than that, the foundations of society have to be built on something solid. You know, you think about the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? right. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. And in this this sort of transformational moment, you're seeing us uh, bereft, uh, you know, uh, starved, of the word of God, starved yeah. of the preaching God's word Lovely. and of the gospel. Um, what, for a young Christian that might be out there mm-hmm. or somebody who's got a lot of questions, mm-hmm. what what's an appeal you would make to them in this moment?
1: God. It's a great question, man. I think about this a lot, actually. And I think as believers, we need to remember that circumstances change, right? First century church was dealing with Caesar you know, uh, later on, we were dealing with Roman Catholicism, uh, mm-hmm. and, and now our battle is abortion, LGB, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Circumstances change, is what I'm getting at. But our mission remains the same. As Christians, our mission is so simple. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, all authority has been given unto me. And now I tell you to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do what I have commanded you to do. I paraphrased horribly, but Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, is our mission, the great commission. Our mission as Christians is to preach the gospel in love and in truth and to make disciples of all nations. we got to make sure that we don't get engulfed in secularized pro-life movements, in secularized um, conservatism, all of these movements are great but they need to be rooted in the word of god Mm. they need to have the bedrock the strong bedrock the solid foundation which must be jesus christ in the gospel
0: Mm, amen you know somebody said it once and and i've you know bears repeating uh liberty is not really man's idea it's god's idea that's right and so true freedom is really from god come on no one is free outside of christ that's right and your life demonstrates that you're a living picture of that. One, thank you so much for for coming. Uh thank you for all you mean um uh, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the gospel. Um thank you for just sharing your story. Uh we're really really uh grateful and um and uh and th- just so thankful for you. Thank
1: you man. Yeah. Honored to be here honestly. God bless. Appreciate you bro likewise.